not alone, that is about friendship. And you'll be looking at the idea of uh, friendship over the next few weeks. So before we get into this, I want to pray this morning. And I want to specifically, as much as I want to pray this, that God would speak and uh, encourage our hearts this morning. I just want to make you aware and just ask you to join me in prayer, praying for Little Village in our city and our new life locations that are there in Little Village. I'm sure many of you have heard about the 13-year-old boy that was shot a couple weeks ago um, and just all of that's happening within that. And so um, our new life locations are right in the thick of coming alongside this family and supporting them and trying to advocate just for peace and everything in the neighborhood. Uh, One of my best friends who leads New Life Centers has been walking with the family throughout the funeral preparations and everything. And so they're right there in the midst of it. The body cam from when the police officer shot this little boy um, is supposed to be coming out possibly this week or soon. And so obviously there's um, concern about that and what's going to happen. And so we just really need to be praying for Little Village and praying for not only the our new life locations in Little Village, but all of the churches in Little Village just to to be advocates of peace in these communities and help the neighborhood walk through this incredibly difficult time. And, and for us, the reason why I bring this up, it's very important for us to realize. I mean, we, we use this passage all the time here. When one part of the body suffers, the whole parts of the body suffer. No, that's not our neighborhood, but that's our church. And so New Life Community Church is multiple locations, one body in different places, and part of our body is in the thick of it right now. And we really want to be praying for them and we want to be praying for this neighborhood. And so we're going to do that this morning, but I just want to ask you to keep praying for them in the days and weeks ahead. All right? And so let's pray and just ask for God's guidance and leading, not only in that situation, but here this morning as we get into the word today. And so we do come before you, God, so grateful for your love for us and grateful that you pursue us and grateful that you are in control, grateful that you are a God of justice and peace and mercy and love. God, I pray that you would be with the little village community. I pray that you be with this little boy's family. God, we ask for peace. We ask for comfort as they grieve and they mourn. God, I pray that you would continue to bring people alongside them, to walk with them and carry them, to help them process things and um, wisdom and just how to navigate the days and weeks, months and years ahead. I thank you for the new life locations and other churches that are just so involved in everything happening in the neighborhood there, I pray that you would sustain them as well, that you would give them an extra abundance of your grace and your wisdom, God, as they navigate this. And I just pray for the community of Little Village this morning. God, I pray for our part of your body here, watching online, here, sitting here today. I pray that you would speak to us, that you would help us, God. I pray you would do something in our hearts this morning, that we would see the beauty of community, the power of community, how you have made us, the relationships and the friendships that we have. And so just as always, God, we pray that, Spirit, you would work, that you would move and do what only you can do. It's in your name we pray, amen. So like I said, we're going to be uh, talking about friendship over the next few weeks. And I think if we were all honest, we would probably agree, most of us, that when we were younger, when we were younger, friendship was just way, way easier. I mean, one five-year-old goes up to another five-year-old at the park and says, hey, can we be friends? Sure, let's go. And then, boom, they're off. Sliding and sharing snacks and all. all. It's It's just easy. And even if there's trauma, even if there's a fight, it's typically wipe the boogers, everybody's okay, so I apologize. And then, boom, they're off BFFs all over again, right? It's just easier when we're younger. 
But then as things get older, things begin to change. And so the reality of is in junior high, some friendships, can you think about what happens in junior high? Some friendships can definitely form tight bonds over shared interests. But it's also during that time, I don't think that's me. Nope, it's not. I think that's, oh, I know who that is. <laughs> um, uh, in junior high, um, we can form those tight bonds, but then there's also the reality that during those times, we can experience some intense moments of rejection, intense moments of bullying, beginning to wonder where we fit in, and even really start experiencing moments of loneliness. I mean, when I mentioned that about junior high, can anybody relate to that? Is that kind of good? Maybe you don't want to have a throwback to those realities. But for many of us, that's what junior high is. And really, though, when you think about it, that junior high experience doesn't always end there, but continues beyond, even into college, even into our 20s and 30s, and as we get older. And then add to that the fact that the older we get after high school, after college, the older we get, it can be even harder to make connections with people. And then throw COVID on top of that. And we have to isolate. And not only are our friendships, are our friendships strained, but it's incredibly hard to make new ones. And but you know what, saying that though, I do wanna give a shout out and props, kudos, whatever word you like, to those who have found us over the last year. I think about, we, I know we have people who started attending the church like literally within a couple weeks before pandemic started and then kept going or found us online and have been here. And that it's not easy to not have face-to-face -face connections. And so I want to acknowledge that. And we are so grateful that you found us. And you are so grateful that you've been able to be a part of that. And we want to see those connections. Um, we want to see the face-to-face -face happen. And we want to see those uh, connections foster. So we're just, I know that that's difficult. So props to those of you that, that that describes. We think about the difficulty of this. Can it be any wonder though that loneliness is a real and serious issue in our world? A 2018 report by the Henry Kaiser Family Foundation shows that 22% of adults in the U.S. say that they often or always feel lonely or socially isolated. A national 2019 survey found that 61% of Americans report feeling lonely. In 2017, former US, the former U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy called loneliness a public health epidemic. Not only obviously here in the U.S., but happening globally to the point that the U.K. In the same, around the same time appointed a minister for loneliness, a cabinet-level position basically dealing with loneliness and the epidemic of loneliness in their country. This is a real issue. What is loneliness? Well, one psychologist defines loneliness as the gap between the social connections you would like to have and those you feel that you actually experience. So the connections that we want, the gap between, loneliness is the gap between the connections we want and those that we feel like we actually are experiencing. And that gap can be wider for different people. And the wider that that gap becomes, the more that distress and sadness can set in. And we experience loneliness, we experience the gap that comes from loneliness in different ways. For some people, that gap is interpersonal. 
And so do I have somebody I can talk to? For others, that gap is existential. How do I fit into the bigger picture of things? And then for some, that gap is societal. Is, there, is my arrival anticipated and welcomed? Am I wanted here? Whether that gap that we feel, that gap that we experience with loneliness is interpersonal, existential, or societal, whatever the manner that it sets in for us, it is real, it is heavy, it can be painful and incredibly difficult. But look at the questions that loneliness raises. Again, do I have someone I can talk to? How do I fit into the bigger picture of things? Is my arrival anticipated welcome? These, the, these are questions to which the answers are outside of ourselves and have to be something greater than who we are. These questions point to our need for others. C.S. Lewis put it great, talking about friendship. He said, friendship has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things that gives value to survival. We can functionally live, we can breathe and go about our day-to-day without friendship. But our lives are better, fuller, richer with friendship. And so friendship is something that we need. In light of this, when we think about the questions that the loneliness gap can ask, as we think about our need for friendship and how to navigate this important topic of friendship, there is one single yet core principle, biblical truth that we need to learn and embrace. It is incredibly basic, but it is incredibly important. And it is this, is that we are made for friendship. We are made for friendship. You and I are created to be in relationships and community. Genesis 1 tells us that in the very beginning, God created everything. And as he went about bringing creation into existence, he said that things were good. Seven times he says this, this is good and this is good. This is very good. Everything was good. Everything is as it should be. Everything is as it's supposed to be. But then in chapter 2, we hear God say for the first time, this is not good. The Lord said, it is not good for the human to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Adam being alone is not how it's supposed to be. Adam being existing alone is not good. The idea of a helper that's mentioned in this verse, we have to make sure we understand this correctly. It doesn't mean lesser than or subservient. It doesn't mean um, a, a servant or that Eve was under, under Adam. That's not what's being talked about here when we talk about a helper. It means counterpart. It means a partner. It means somebody that would compliment him on this journey. Adam looked around at all of creation, at all that's been made, all of the creatures, all the animals, everything there is, and there's no one like him. 
No one that he could walk with. No one he could enjoy this with. No one he could journey with. No one he could do the work of taking care of creation with him. He was existing alone and that wasn't good. So God made someone to do it with him. And it's really important to see the focus here on that. That on the one who compliments him. Yes, we learn in a couple verses that Eve will be his wife, but the emphasis here is not on marriage and family. The emphasis here is it's not good to be alone. God's response to aloneness is to give a partner, to give somebody who compliments, somebody that we can journey with. We were made to be like God in community, in relationship, as he is. That's why this is so important to God, because we are made in God's image. It says in chapter right before this, in verse 26, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. It doesn't mean that we physically look like God. It means that we reflect his attributes. It means we reflect and represent who he is and how he is. Well, what is God like? Well, the big theological word we use to talk about this is the Trinity. Francis Schaeffer defines the Trinity as three united persons without separate existence, so completely united as to form one God. The divine nature subsists in three distinctions, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is why we say God is three in one, Father, Son, and and the Holy Spirit, because by his very nature, it is relationship, it is community, and we are made to be like him. Why is it not good that Adam's alone? Because that doesn't reflect what God's like. He wants us to be like him. Now let me clarify. This doesn't mean that it's not good for some of us at times to, to get some alone time. We do need a break from people. In fact, we need a break from some of the most important people in our life. But there's a difference between having periodic time alone and being defined as alone. And to exist alone is not how we were made. Chad Bird about this says this, despite God's perfect formation of humanity, aloneness is ungood for humanity. In a narrative full of goods and very goods, this is the first not good that we encounter. It is not good for the human to be alone precisely because he is not created to live as an isolated, self-contained, self-sufficient, self-actuating, self-identifying individual. There are no islands in the stream of humanity. So you need to know, when you think about this last year that we've had, you think about life before this last year, because it didn't start during the pandemic. When you think about any time that you have experienced loneliness, and you've said, this is not good, be encouraged because you join God in saying that. You join God's heart in saying, no, it's not good for us to be alone. That's God's feeling on it as well. That's his assessment because he did not create us to have a lonely existence. The foundation of our friendship has to be based on this. We are meant to show who God is 
And he is one of community. We were made for relationships. Now we get that core principle down. We get that foundation down and we need to start building on it. Specifically asking what type of friendships are we made to be in. If we were made for friendship, what kind of friendship are we longing for? And what I see in scripture is this, is that we need genuine friendships. Deep connections of the heart which make us better. We, genuine friendships. Now, we're going to have coworkers, we're going to have teammates, we're going to have companions. And that's all good. That's part of how we go about life. But we need a few people that we can call friend. Genuine friends. Deep connections of the heart which make us better. And the place that we see this modeled in Scripture is in the life of David and Jonathan. Right at, David is the shepherd who fought Goliath. And right after he took Goliath out, we see in chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, David and Jonathan becoming friends. And we see parts of their story told in these next three chapters, 18 and 20. It starts in verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Their souls were knit together, bound together. Now there's political language here about alliances and things with that, but with them it's more than this. It is a mutual, deep friendship. We, like I said, we'll be at different levels with people as far as the friends that we have. We're actually going to talk about that extensively next week. But the reality is, is that David and Jonathan show us that genuine friendship isn't just surface stuff. It goes and moves much deeper than that. To be friends is not simply to know somebody's name and occupation and family and what their favorite food is. It's to know the depths of who we are. To know the depths of who they are. What does that type of a friendship look like? What is a deep, genuine, below-the-surface, deeply connected friendship? How is that characterized? Well, we see a couple of things modeled in their friendship. First, it's based in commitment. It says that Jonathan made a covenant with David. A lot of times, friendships are built on shared interests, which is normal. That's many times how things start. We like the same sport, we like the same music, same causes, same whatever that might be. But the to build and have a friendship based solely on interests is a weak foundation because those interests don't last. Interests can change. Pandemics can happen and remove all of the interests. That's a bad foundation to build a friendship on, especially when the difficulties of life come. But a friendship that's based and characterized by commitment. I am committed to who you are. I am committed to this. Oh, and a friendship has commitment like that in it, it will sustain itself through the most difficult of seasons. When there is commitment, you can work through the worst of conflicts. When there is commitment, you can carry one another through the biggest trials. We, have to, we need to see commitment in a genuine relate, friendship. The other thing we see in David and Jonathan is love. 
They made this covenant with one another because Jonathan made this covenant because he loved David as his own soul. The depth of two people forming such a genuine friendship can never exclude love from it. C.S. Lewis talks about this as well in his book, The Four Loves, when he talks about friendship. He says, friendship is in a sense the least natural of loves. It has least commerce with our nerves. There's nothing throaty about it. Nothing about friendships. Friendship quickens the pulse or turns you red. It's essentially between individuals. The moment two people are friends, they have in some degree drawn apart together from the herd. But when they draw apart together, when you are walking with that person then, when you have a friend like that where there is love, you can be your true self. They know all of the worst about you and they love you. They know all of the warts, all of the things, and they still care for you. That's the type of love that we need in a genuine friendship. We also see sacrifice with, between David and Jonathan. It says that Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, this might seem kind of odd to us just reading it, not being from this time. I mean, David just got done with the whole David and Goliath, the whole Goliath battle. His, was his clothes kind of tattered? And so Jonathan was just like kind of doing a thrift store hand-me-down here? Like, no, that's not what's happening. This is very significant outfit that Jonathan's giving up to give to David. These are his royal clothes. And so Jonathan was supposed to be the king. But because of things that happened with his father, his father is rejected as king and now David is. So Jonathan is coming in and acknowledging, you are my king. I will follow you the way I followed my father. He's basically humbly coming before him and saying, I acknowledge that what was my status is now your status. And I will acknowledge this. And that was not an easy thing for Jonathan to do. It actually probably made things incredibly difficult between him and his father, but he was willing to sacrifice that for his friendship. And so we have commitment, love, sacrifice, and the last thing between them was care for one another. A couple chapters later in chapter 20, after some huge conflict that happens with Jonathan's, Jonathan's father Saul, it says this, If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord, David says, that I might not die and not be cut off from your steadfast love for my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. Again, we see that phrase being used for them. Saul, Jonathan's dad, hates David to the point of wanting to kill him. And here in chapter 20, we see them making a commitment to one another to care about one another. I will defend you in front of your enemies. I will take care of you, your family, and your descendants even after you're gone. I am going to care for you and for yours. To care for somebody in a friendship is to have a steadfast love. A care and a love that happens regardless of what we're going through, regardless of how difficult it is. It doesn't matter how deep the valley is that you're walking through. To care for somebody as a friend is to walk through it with them. 
When you have a committed, loving, sacrificial, caring friend at your side, the way we see modeled in these two men, then you are able to keep going, to keep living, to keep growing, to thrive, to heal. You are able to be better. Because the reality is, is that we see what happens when that connection happens and when commitment, sacrifice, love, and care are in action. And really, I think, to kind of how is it possible that this helps us so much and how does that connection help us so much? I think Brienne Brown, she, I'm probably mispronouncing her name again, right? Brene? Brene? Brene. Brene Brown. I butchered it in the first service, which is atypical for me. Uh, Brene Brown has this amazing short video where she talks about the difference between empathy and sympathy. And this hits right into what we're talking about, about the genuine friends that we need. So I want you to watch this. So what is empathy and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, and climb down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is... Ooh, it's bad, uh-huh. Uh, no, you want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. At least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. I want you to think about the friendship, the genuine friendship that we see in David and Jonathan, committed, loving, sacrificial, and caring, and what she just said. A friend is someone who connects part of themselves with part of me. Empathy is feeling with people. Rarely can a response make something better. What makes things better 
is the connection. A genuine friend, what we were made for, someone who is committed and loving and sacrificial and caring, a genuine friend gets down into the pit with us. Companions and teammates and floor mates and co-workers, they'll stay on the surface and commiserate with us, offer sympathy. But genuine friends get down into the pit with us. Genuine friends are with us and walk with us. They connect with us and care. And that's what we need. Friendship is not meant to be generic and surface. It's meant to get underneath to be committed and loving and sacrificial and caring. Which leads to the last thing for today. Where should we be able to see this happening? We can find friendship. The church is to be a fellowship of friends. The church is supposed to be a fellowship of friendships. We've been created to be in relationship and community. The genuine friendships we were made for are ones of deep connection of the heart which make us better. Take these ideas into Acts 2. When the church begins and begins to grow and thrive, how is the church described? It says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and annoying the favor of all people, enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Did you hear how the beginning of the description was? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. This is not saying that they were committed to coming and hearing a half-hour talk once a week and praying with one another every once in a while. This says that they were intentionally made a commitment to go through the life of faith together. That's what it says when it's the apostles' teaching. It's not just cerebral. It's how do we live this life of faith? And they did it in fellowship. They were devoted, intentional, to live the life of faith together. This is who we're supposed to be. We are to be people committed to doing the journey of faith together. Yes, we can create genuine friendships, the one described by David and Jonathan, in other places. But what we need in the church, what the church is to give us, is a place where we can find the genuine friendships that we need spiritually. The genuine friendships that we need to do the life of faith with. Spiritual friendship is what the church was designed for. Just take it back, circle back to the three questions which the loneliness gap asks and think about what we see in this text. Do I have someone I can talk to? Well, it says that in the church they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. You can't be able to provide for somebody's need 
or have your need provided unless you're talking with somebody, unless you're sharing about what you're going through in life. To be able to continue to meet with one another, they had people to talk to. The second question, how do I fit into the bigger picture of things? They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They, there was a worshipful reality centered around doing communion to one another in their homes. But man, that should speak to us as our, in our individualistic ideas of worship and Christianity. Because this wasn't just about, I want to come in and experience communion in a certain way. This was tying them to the reality of the gospel, that they had a moment not only to be reminded of all that Jesus did for them, but also a reminder that this is what you're supposed to be sharing with those outside of this place. The breaking bread with one another was a reminder that it's only through Jesus that we are reconciled to God, but communion was also a reminder that they've been given the ministry of reconciliation. It showed them how they were part of the larger scheme of things. The last question, is my arrival anticipated and welcomed? Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. To be, if you enjoy people, that means your arrival is expected and celebrated. It is welcomed. And not only that, it must have been such a place that, that was so full of anticipation of people coming in and welcoming of people coming in that more and more people were entering into the community and what God was doing. The reality is, is that through God's redemption in Christ and what he does in the church, the loneliness of me is welcomed and healed through the we of God's people. The church, think about what God does through the church. And all of these questions are answered with a resounding yes by the gospel working through a faith community. When the people of the church are being the way the church is supposed to be, our interpersonal, existential, societal loneliness, loneliness gaps will shrink because we know there is an answer for them. Eugene Peterson said this, friendship is as much an understated aspect, excuse me, friendship is a much understated aspect of spirituality. It's every bit as significant as prayer and fasting. Like the sacramental use of water and bread and wine, friendship takes what's common in human experience and turns it into something holy. And that's exactly what we should see in this place. That's what we should see in New Life Lincoln Park. People coming together to take our ordinary lives and working and be, joining God in what he's doing to turning them into something holy. We need to figure out how to do that together. We need to find a way to be together. We need to strategize how to get back on this journey together. And so if, if this is your church home, actually there's a question before that. Is this your church home? And that's something that you need to think about. 
Is this your faith community? Yes, there's the larger church. Yes, there's the church all over the world. And we praise God for what he's doing in all places. But he also puts us in a local representation of that. And so is this the part of the church that you're in? Because if it is, you need to be part of the family. You need to grow here and serve here and get connected here. You need to let, help other people in what they're going through and you need to let other people help you in what you are going through. It is not, being a Christian is not to be a f- pew filler. It's to be part of a community. And so is this where you're doing that? And if not, that's okay, but you need to do it somewhere. If you can't do it here for whatever reason, I, mean, I would love to know that so we can know how to fix things and make things better, but you need to find the place where you can do that. Find the place where you can say, this is my church. This is where I'm committed. This is where I'm going to sacrifice. This is where I'm going to love. This is where I'm going to care. And yes, you might only be here for a short time. We acknowledge that is one of the characteristics of our community. It is transient. You might only be here for six months for work. You might only be here for a few years from school and only for nine months out of the year within that. You might be here for longer, three times, however long it is. Be part of the church for the time that you're here. And if, again, if you can't do this in this place, you need to, that's the priority. You need to find the place you can do it. Now, hear what I'm saying. Don't take that I just said that as an excuse. Oh, I don't want to be convicted of this. I don't want to hear this. I'm just going to go someplace else, but I'm not going to do anything different. I'm just going to go sit in a seat there. That's not the point. Just take care of it now because at some point, wherever you go, that guy's going to talk about the way the church is and you're going to have to make the decision again. You can't just keep kicking the can down the road. It's time to say, this is my church or find the place where you can say, This is my church because you're spiritual. I don't say that for us. I say that for you. You need to grow in community. And if this is your church, then let it be your church. Be the place where you use your gifts, where you serve, where you build friendships, where you start connecting with people And help us figure out how to do that better. You know, I I say in all sincerity, this last year, if we have not cared for you, if I have not cared for you, if you have not felt like this place has been around you as much as it should, I am sorry. This pandemic has been psychotic for all of us, and I don't make excuses, but I want to know, and I want you to know, please, we want you to be cared for. And if we can do that better, please don't hold on to that. Don't allow it to become bitterness. Let us know what you need so that we can care for you. But we can't read your minds. And you can't just wait for us to reach out. Because I'm one person. Our team is very small. And there's between 150 and 200 people people that go to this place. This isn't something that is on my shoulders. And it's not something that's on a dozen people's shoulders. It's on every single person who calls this their church's shoulders. And so how can you make this place the way God wants it to be? I am sorry if we have dropped the ball. And I know over the course of this year, I have dropped the ball. We want to make those things right. And so you have to tell us. But please think about also, 
How can I make this place? What can I take ownership of? How can I foster community here? And you know what? If you're new to church, if this is a new thing for you, and maybe even something you're a little hesitant of, I completely get that. I understand that. All I can say is please give us a try. I know that the church has failed in many places. I know that you've probably experienced some of that failure yourself. And I am incredibly sorry for those moments. And you've already heard, I don't think this is a perfect place. We will drop the ball, but I can tell you we're trying. And we want to try. And we would love for you to try with us. And so maybe that's the thing is you stick with us for this series to check things out. Whether you're online or you're here, we have to figure out how to be connected. Your spiritual life needs people. And we have to stop making excuses for it to be difficult. Even if it means being online with one another, if it means that we get to be connected with one another, that needs to be more important than how sick of Zoom we are. And for some of us, the idea of how tired we are with technology and Zoom, we are putting that as an idol of more important than the fact that spiritually we need to be in community. You need to put the need for community and growing in community above how difficult it is right now. And you need to do what you need to do to be connected. And let us help you within that. But don't just sit back and say, ah, I'm kind of tired of all the technology. We all are. But we can't grow stagnant. We need to grow. If everyone in here focuses on being the spiritual friend that the church is described as, this place will be, be and become what God has destined it for. Listen to what scripture says. I give you a new command, love, for, love one another. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. That just sounds like brothers and sisters. May the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone. From a pure heart, love one another constantly. Everyone should look out not only for their own interests, but also the interests of others. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. Carry one another's burdens. Serve one another through love. Let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. If everyone in here focuses on being the spiritual friend the church is described to be, then this place will become what God has destined it for. If we put as much energy into being actively part of the church family as we spend energy for coming up with reasons to not to, we would all be better off. We need to be with one another. We were made for friendship, we need genuine friendships, and we can find friendships. We're going to end this message today by receiving communion. Like I said, that which reminds us of the life that we have in God, but also what reminds us of the life that we need to be sharing with others. If you're uh, new with us and haven't done communion before, if you're at home, you can go ahead and grab uh, whatever elements you have. If you're here with us, just really quick, there's two little uh, flaps on this. Make sure you pull the clear one up first to get the uh, cracker thing out and then pull up the silver one once you're ready to take the juice. But hold on to them for a moment and we'll receive communion together. We always take just a moment of quiet reflection to be in the presence of God, to pray, 
to allow God to speak to our hearts. And so I don't know how this message has hit you, but what do you need to feed on from God's word? What speaks to the reality of your heart and the, your life of faith? What, I mean, what do you need us to bring and surrender to him? Let's be quiet before him and prayerfully and then we'll receive communion together. And so God, whether we're at home or sitting here, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would speak truth to us, you would encourage us. We ask you, Spirit, to move. Let's be quiet before him and then we'll receive communion. John 15 says, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. It's at the cross that we see the extent of God's love for us. It's also we see the reality of the friend that God is, because no one else is committed, loving, sacrificial, and caring the way Jesus is. So the cross reminds us of that reality, that it's only in him that we have life. And so if you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you don't have that relationship with him, communion isn't going to do anything for you. It's not for you. This is for those to remember what God has done for them. You need to surrender your life to Jesus. You need to use this time to pray and put your faith in him to say, God, I want life in you. And maybe that's something you still have questions about, something you want to talk about. I would love to talk to you about this after service or at some point. Uh, But you have to follow through with that. Please don't ignore what God's laying on your heart if you need to trust in him. God, we come before you and we're grateful for your love. We're grateful for the abundant love which you show us, your sacrifice on the cross, taking our sin upon yourself, God. We know that we could not have done it. We know that we deserve it, but you did it lovingly in our place. God, we are grateful for the resurrection, the victory that you won over sin, over death, the life that you invite us into, that you will call on us to share. We are grateful for your grace and mercy and joy and peace that only comes in you. God, I pray that you would make this community one that is passionate about what you are doing and who you are, not just in our own lives, but as a friend, as community, as a fellowship of friends. God, forgive us when our hearts draw only to ourselves. Help us to reflect who you are. We pray all of this and we remember all of this in your name. Let's receive communion together.
Jesus, we are grateful for your broken body, for your shed blood, the life that we have in you, that you call us into your family. It's in your name we pray, amen. So we think about the friend that we have in the Lord and the friends that he creates in his church. We just want to praise him for that. So we're going to close with this last worship song that just is such a powerful word in light of everything we've received today. So let's sing together.